You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. All right, turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. Last week we saw uh, three primary reasons that people gravitate to religious systems, all right? One is self-control. That was the pragmatist. They see measurable outcomes for conduct's sake. Second was seeking control. That was the narcissist. They, they set measurable outcomes for control's sake. And then settling control. That was the minimalist. They see measurable outcomes for comparison's sake. They don't want to be over you. They just want to be better than you, and usually with the least amount of effort. All three reasons have one thing at their core, and that's the enemy. Satan loves to promote self in all of us. And what's the opposite of self? (laughs) Others. Sincere, loving, personal service to God and his church and his people. Paul's been giving the Galatians uh, some incredibly brilliant uh, and biblical arguments for grace right? Grace through faith. He's been appealing to their logic. He's been showing them their own history of slavery to idolatry and and to the law. But now he's going to appeal to their emotions, all right? Almost like what we're going to read today is almost like reading out of someone's diary. It's very personal words. Paul's going to be very vulnerable and expressive. And so let's read this together. Galatians chapter 4 verse 12. We're going to read through verse 20. Galatians chapter 4, verse 12. These are the words of God, more important than anything else I'll say today. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You, you know it was because of bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you didn't scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged your eyes out and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, meaning the Judaizers, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I'm again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish... I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. I want to ask Kay Huey to come and ask God's blessings on our message today. Thanks, Kay. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, and we are so blessed. We're blessed to be in this place that you've separated for us to come and be a separated people to hear your word. Lord, I pray that um, you would enrich what Wint has already studied and that you would bring it alive to each one of us as we listen. Father, we've all come here this morning with hurts, with pain, with anger, with problems. And we beg you, Lord, that we would set all of that aside, that we would do nothing but worship you this morning. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kay. Amen. When Paul uh, said in Galatians 4, uh, verse 10, 
uh, you observe days and uh, actually it was, yeah, I think it was the first 11. Uh, you, you observe days and, and months and seasons and years. He was pleading with the Galatians that attaching rules not found in God's word, much less uh, using those rules as kind of a moral thermostat to test a person's spiritual temperature is both prideful and deadly, right? It makes outward behaviors a substitute for inward belief. We should have both, right? But we shouldn't have one or the other. Christianity is more than an external behavior. It's a personal inward relationship with Christ. So Paul makes a personal plea to the Galatians. And, and I know that Paul gets a bad rap. He's, he's, a, he's, you know, all cranium, no compassion. He's stern, but he's smart. He's militant, but he's bold. He's dogmatic, he's abrasive. But, but Paul's more than a prophet and a theologian. He's, he's a, he has a shepherd's heart, and it comes through in this passage. He has a deep personal interest in the Galatians' spiritual well-being. So Paul moves from discipline and defense to begging and, and bear hugs, all right? So let's look at three demonstrations of Paul's deeply personal concern for the Galatians. The first is Paul's example, right? He has two of these that I'm going to mention. The first example is what Paul was. Galatians 4 verse 12, the first part of that verse says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. Just as I am. You know that song? Without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb. Of God I come, I come. I gripped many a pew when I was a kid, not going down <laughs> during the invitation. Listen, Paul was without plea. He was without contest when it came to his salvation. But he wasn't without plea when it came to the personal nature of his love for the Galatians and his desire that they understand grace through faith, right? Paul was pleading for them to be just as I am. So how was he? They're going to be as he was. Well, how was he? Is it just as I am in birth? Is it just as I am in education? Is it just as I am in life experiences? Right? Is it just as I am in singleness? He does talk about that in another passage, but not here. What does Paul mean? Last week, Paul mentions the Galatians biography. Remember, he says in Galatians 4, 8, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Remember that? That was their biography. But this week, Paul mentions his own biography, right? Which isn't so different from theirs, right? Uh, Galatians 4 verse 12, brothers, I entreat you. I'm begging you become as I am. So to be as Paul is, we need to know how Paul was. And I think he sums that up in another passage in the scriptures. Sometimes it's good to let the Bible interpret the Bible. And this is one of those cases, Philippians 3, verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about people who, gets, who require circumcision back in the Old Testament in order to be you know, part of the family of God. All right? They, they're just cutting the flesh for no reason. Right? Verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself, Paul says, have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more 
Talk about talking smack, right? Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. He's saying, you look it up. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the poster boy for everything that's perfect about the Jewish law. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. This personal relationship, everything else pales in comparison to this. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. And y'all don't want me to say the word that that really represented in the Old Testament. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. When Paul says, become as I am, he's saying, follow my example. I was perfect in everything that you're seeking after. I did it. I was the Solomon of the New Testament, right? Solomon went out and had all that the world had to offer and said, vanity, oh, vanities. He's, Paul's now saying, I tasted all the law could offer. I was a self-righteous, prideful, legalistic Pharisee who met Jesus. <laughs> and I rejected all my personal efforts to trust only and fully in the grace of Christ. Paul's not bragging on being a good example of morality and self-righteousness for them to follow. Listen, if y'all don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. Some of you need to hear this. Those of you who feel unworthy to serve God, right? Your past adultery or addiction or neglect or spiritual complacency or pride make you think to yourself, no one should follow my example. Well, you're right. No one should follow the examples of sin, right? If I steal something, I don't want someone to follow that example. But you are missing Paul's point. When he says, follow me here, right? Y'all are thinking, well, I'm not Paul. How in the world can I be a disciple maker? God has called everyone in this room that calls on the name of the Lord to be a disciple maker. So how can you do that if you're so sinful, right? I don't believe Paul is bragging or begging the Galatians to, to just do the good works he does, not here at least. Paul is saying, become as I am. How was he? He was a rejecter of self-righteousness. He was a receptor of the grace of Christ. The reason every true believer, every believer in here is worth following. I believe that with all my heart. Well, you don't know what I've been, you know, I've been up to lately. I got these vices and the, you're still worth following. Not your vices, not your sin, but you're worth following because you have rejected the keeping of the law as a means to buy God's favor and his love and his affection and his eternal life in heaven. You've rejected that. You've fallen at the feet of Christ. Y'all understand this? There'd be more people signing up to serve if y'all did. No one's actions are always worthy of following. But the grace of Jesus Christ through faith, which we live by as believers, is always worth following. So when I say to someone, follow me, when you think of yourself as a disciple maker, that's the part of you that's worth 
mimicking. You understand that? It's that I'm unworthy. It's that I'm unworthy. That's what makes me able to be a father when I've broken every one of the things that I discipline my own sons for. You think I didn't disobey my parents? Ten times worse than he's disobeyed me. So how can I possibly, you know, correct anyone? How could I preach this sermon right now? Is it because I'm better? No. It's because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And that's worth following, friend. That's the part of you that you need to pass on to the next generation. Not your arrogance, not your confidence in the flesh, but your unworthiness without Christ and the holiness you have in him. That's what we're to follow. That's the part of my parents that I remember the most. Well, the second example is in what Paul became. Galatians 4 verse 12, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Well, now we need to ask the same questions we did before. As you are in birth, as you are in education, as you are in experiences. Well, not exactly, right? For Paul to be as they are, we need to know how the Galatians were. Galatian Gentiles were not under Jewish law. They weren't Jewish, <laughs> right? They never had a reliance on the law. They did have a pagan religious system that they adhered to, but Jewish law and life was not the backbone of their birth or their upbringing or their culture. But Paul, for Paul it was. And he gave all that up, all those rights and privileges that being a Jew could give by being under the law. He gave it up. And practically speaking, he became like a Gentile, right? I became as you are. It's like Paul saying, hey, I gave up all thought of mosaic advantage and I identified with you Galatians. Surely you're not trying to swap places with me. I mean, I did everything you could do under the law, and it didn't work. It wasn't enough. Jesus revealed himself to me, his grace. Surely you're not trying to swap places with me now, right? I came out of all that way of life, that way of thinking, into the freedom and grace that God alone provides in his son, Jesus Christ. Why would you non-Jews want to run into the place of me, a real Jew, who clearly broke free from uh, the law like a slave breaking free from their chains and I ran into the arms of the grace of Jesus Christ. I didn't run out so you can run in. It's the same sense that we have in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19 where Paul says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a, as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, that's, that's us, that's all Gentiles, all non-Jews, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means... I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Remember that word blessings. Paul's examples were first that of a perfect Jew under the law, right? Rejecting it in favor of God's grace. Second, that many he became like a Gentile. He gave up privileges 
to be an example to them of the superiority of grace through faith over self-righteousness through the law. Paul was a living example of deep friendship, emotional bond, sincere truth. Second was Paul's encouragement. Paul was an encourager. Y'all know that words of affirmation usually do a lot more than words of rebuke. Y'all don't act like y'all believe that this morning. Anybody in here ever been encouraged? You can raise your hand. <laughs> I, words of rebuke aren't bad, but I've, I've gone a lot further in my sanctification through words of encouragement. I already know what I'm not. I need somebody to tell me who I am. And you know, my mom and dad really modeled that for me. And I know some of y'all don't have uh, godly parents or didn't grow up in godly homes. And my parents did not which makes me respect them even more. They kind of broke that, that generations of sin and began to live for God, and I watched them. But they would always encourage me. They would, they would, they would uh, tell me who I am in Christ. I know that people who knew me <laughs> thought my parents were delusional, all right? I even thought that. But what I believe is that they were just trying to tell me where I was going louder than the world was telling me where I was. I got to mention this, this name. It's not in this story, but it's a guy named Joseph. Not Joseph, coat of many colors in the Old Testament. Not Joseph, the husband of Mary in the New Testament, but another Joseph. I think prophetic, abrasive Paul learned a thing or two from a guy named Joseph. This guy encouraged people so much that his disciple buddies nicknamed him Barnabas, son of encouragement, right? As a matter of fact, I find it interesting that in Acts chapter 11, Barnabas, who was already ministering over in Antioch, finds Paul, brings him to Antioch, and in Acts 11 verse 26, Luke says, for a whole year... Right? They met with the church and taught a great many people. And by the way, the, I was telling my son on the way to church this morning, he was asking me why we meet on Sundays. And I was like, I can't tell you that in 10 minutes. But um, I was telling him that the early church met every day. They met all the time. Their culture was agricultural. It was different. I mean, they had, their, they had tons of time together. And so they met for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people, Paul and Barnabas. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And I realized that that title may have been some kind of mockery by the Greeks, you know, uh, because they would call followers of the Roman uh, general Pompey, they called them Pompeians. And followers of uh, Emperor Nero Augustus, they called Augusto Augustonians, I believe. All right, so they were, you know, obviously calling them Christians. And in my sanctified imagination, I think that the encouraging example of Barnabas was like a glue to all those new Christ followers and it was on display for a year in the way they spoke and the way they acted and those Greeks began to call them Christians which meant those of the party of Christ. Are we of the party of Christ? If we are, it's a party of encouragement, right? party of lifting others up, the party of those who trust in a murderer, <laughs> who, 
Who brings a murderer into a bunch of new believers class? Hey, we got a new teacher in our new believers class this Sunday. Just got out of prison. Yeah, yeah, for what? Oh, nothing really. He just killed a lot of people for being Christians. You know, that's what they did. And that's what, that's what Barnabas did. I Listen, I think encouragement and sincerity characterizes God's church. I know it characterizes ours, and I'm thankful for that. So what were these words of encouragement from Paul? First, he says, <laughs> you're different. Piperton Baptist Church, you're different. <laughs> There's a long list of why you're different. Some of them are godly reasons. Galatians 4, verse 12 so y'all, y'all just ain't hanging with me this morning. That rain outside. Chad, you're with me. Thank you, Chad. Gosh. Man, Galatians chapter 4, verse 12. You did me no wrong. You're different. Remember the Galatians were most, the, the book of Galatians was most likely written specifically to four cities in southern Galatia. Those were Pisidian Antioch, uh, Iconium, Lystra, and then Derbe. And Paul and Barnabas faced lots of opposition to the gospel in those cities on what I believe was Paul's first missionary journey, all right? In Pisidian Antioch, for example, that's the furthest one to the west. If you're thinking north of the Mediterranean Sea, if you got that map in your mind, you're going, uh, you're going east, west to east. And the first city was Pisidian Antioch. In Acts chapter 13, verse 44, the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict that which was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this... They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life uh, believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading through the whole region. There's the difference. Paul reminds them just how different they were from his own Jewish ethnic family. Then Paul and Barnabas moved east, Acts 14, verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together uh, into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the believing Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Verse 5, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe. Verse 7, there they continued to preach the gospel, but they caught up with them. I'll read that in just a second. They, wanted, they still wanted to stone Paul, and they would. Again, I believe some of those Greeks who believed the gospel message on Paul's first missionary journey were the recipients of this letter to the Galatians, right? They weren't the, the ones stirring up strife. They weren't the one being poisoned in mind. They weren't the ones attempting to mistreat and stone Paul and Barnabas. They were different in Acts 14, 19, we read, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. You know, right, they're following them. <laughs> the, the bad guys are following them. And they, having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. They persuade them. They don't persuade them to the truth. They persuade them to them. That's what cult leaders do. Then they went on to Derby and came back through those same towns, you know, uh, 
appointing elders in each of those cities because they started all these these new believers. They'd go through the cities, new believers would come to faith, and then they would let them kind of germinate, you know, grow in Christ some, talk about it, and then they'd come back through and they would have usually had a recognized leader or someone. They would point elders in there. So much persecution, but not from those believing Galatians. They were different, and Paul told them, you did me no wrong. Even if some of the Galatians, some of these believing Galatians, were turning from a pagan cult to Christianity and then back into another cult of Judaistic legalism, Paul says, hey, you've done me no wrong. I'm not mad. I love you. And that's the, that's the reason I'm pleading with you right now. I'm not mad. Hey, church, listen, when people are struggling in their faith walk. How about we try telling them just how different they are with Christ instead of telling them how, how many laws they're breaking of God? Right? Just a thought. <laughs> First, he says you're different. Second, he says you're kind. You're kind. Galatians 4.13, you know it was because of bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you didn't scorn or decide, uh, despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. You could have been cynical. You could have said, you know what, Paul? You weren't even planning to come to us. You just came because you, you know, you got, you know, you had this ailment. That's why you're here. They could have said, they could have been critical. They could have refused to receive the message like the other Greeks did. They had a lot of cultural pressure on them. You could have been cruel. You could have taken advantage of me because of my ailment instead of showing kindness. But you didn't, did you? By the way, Paul's condition, right, could have been a number of things. It could have been, you know, the beatings he had gotten. But, but I tend to think it was his eyes because he was blinded when he met Christ on the road to Damascus. And I believe he struggled with his eyesight ever since then. And... Uh, but in Galatians 4.15, to be more specific, Paul said, I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me, right? So I, I think Paul wasn't just using some random hyperbole to communicate their love for him, right? I think it was specific to a situation and ailment to which they responded with kindness and care. They genuinely wanted his healing. Listen, nothing encourages me more than on Wednesday nights, and I know it's just a handful of our, uh, of our folks. I know a lot of you work late and can't be here, but I'm thankful when, our, when people show up on Wednesday nights at 6.30, and we pray, and I love to hear people pray for others because it is love in action. Prayer is love in action, right? I see a need, and I know who can fill it, and so I am interceding. We intercede Anywhere from five to 25 people every Wednesday night we intercede for you, many of you, for salvations, for healing physically, spiritually. Paul is doing what every good earthly parent and every good spiritual parent should do. He's telling the Galatians how awesome they are. He's interceding for them. He's encouraging them. They were bold to receive the message of the gospel in a whirlwind of cultural opposition. Definitely different than Paul's own Jewish people and the other rejecting Gentiles. Loving and kind and deeply concerned with his well-being. Listen, it's a kind thing to praise the kindness of another. Let me ask you, church, do you praise the kindness of others? I had 
uh, sweet note given to me this week by someone, a church member, uh, last week, thanking me for, for my kindness toward their family. And it was real sweet and heartfelt. You know, you know what it made me want to do? Be more kind more often. <laughs> do you praise people's kindness? Are you thankful to others that God has put in your life? And by the way, if no one's encouraging you, go out and find someone to encourage and you'll be encouraged because it's an encouraging thing to encourage another. Paul says in verse 15, what then has become of your blessedness? You were so blessed. You were such a blessing to me. Look at how far you would have gone <laughs> to show your love for me. It was so incredible. It's impressive. It was convicting. So first, we have Paul's example. Second, we have Paul's encouragement. And third, we have Paul's exposure. He's about to expose some things in their life, right? Paul has moments in his letters and in his teaching and preaching where he's compelled to expose reality. Some people call it rebuke. <laughs> I think it's just exposure. And his first exposure is the Galatians' opposition to Paul and the gospel. Galatians 4 verse 16, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? I know you don't think I'm your enemy, right? I know you've, you've testified, I just testified to our love for each other, right? But the way you're acting, the things you're believing, the stance that you're taking is undeniably in opposition of me and the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It's interesting that a lot of false religions... I hate to even say false religions because we have a relationship. I should just say a lot of religions don't deny the reality of, a, of an historical Jesus or even that Jesus is a way to heaven. I believe it makes them sound and feel philosophically, spiritually, religiously open-minded. But friend, when pressed, the same either-or argument that we use as Christians, y'all know what an either-or argument is? Either heaven or hell Christ only, that's what we, that's exclusivity. Christ is exclusive. <laughs> there is no other way. That's what we believe as Christians, right? They seemingly, that our seemingly closed-minded argument is the same as an atheist or a cult leader or a polytheistic religion that believes in many gods. It's the same thing. They also, they would like to think they're open-minded, but they use the same argument of either or. They may say, hey, we believe in Jesus and Shiva and, and Allah and, and whatever else others believe. But friend, denial of opposition doesn't mean they're actually unopposed to the truth of Jesus and his exclusivity. And you know, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Opposing someone while saying, I'm not opposing you, <laughs> I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you, you know, doesn't make it real. I've told many Hindus before in, in India when we were serving over there, I said, if I bring my wife in here, my lovely, beautiful wife, and I put my arm around her and I look into her eyes and I say, hey, honey, Vicki, you're the, you're the most gorgeous woman I've ever met. I love you more than any woman on the face of this planet. My desire is for no one else but you. And that's true. And then I, my mistress walks in. She sits on my left side. I put my arm around her. I gaze into her eyes and I say, hey, sweetie, 
I love you more than any woman in the world. You're the greatest thing to me. I love no one more than you. And then they start quarreling. And I say, whoa, 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 I love each of you the same. Friend, listen, your words and your actions display your opposition. I can't love both fully. That's our jealous God, right? Paul is saying, you treated me so well. But Galatians 4, 16, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? <laughs> you can pretend you're not my enemy. <laughs> but your actions speak louder than your mouth does, all right? Romans 8, 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. 1 John 4, verse 3, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Think about that next time you, have, you take marital advice or moral counsel. If the person giving it doesn't confess Jesus, what they're saying may not be from God. John 3, verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Paul is exposing their opposition to him and the gospel of Jesus. And he's doing it out of love. And secondly, he's exposing the Judaizers' opposition to the Galatians. Galatians 4, verse 17, they make much of you but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It's always good to be made much of for good purpose. And not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for, I, I, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, like he's, he's feeling like I got to start all over again, right? Until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Wearsby, Warren Wearsby, great pastor, he says, one of the marks of a false teacher is that he tries to attract other men's converts to himself and not simply to the truth of the word of God or to the person of Jesus Christ. Paul was in Galatia before the Judaizers, right? The Judaizers were thieves. They were coming to steal his convert. But Paul had proved to be their loving friend. Paul wanted Christ's glory the false teachers, the Judaizers, wanted their own glory. And Paul was exposing that. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 1, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Verse 5, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> Y'all know, Piperton. <laughs> Nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, you know, like a workman's worth his wage, right? But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Paul was pleading because Paul was their friend. Matter of fact, he contrasts his own encouragement in truth with the Judaizers' encouragement of lies. He says, verse 18, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only when I am present with you. Well, he's talking about himself. <laughs> he's saying, I'm the one that made much of you for a good purpose. I brag on you because I know the reality of it. I, I, I gauge in your life what is true and good because I weigh it against the, the word of God. 
not my own self-seeking desires. I could sum up this passage in this way. This is an Old Testament verse, Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. You want a friend or an enemy? <laughs> I'd rather get punched in the face than stabbed in the back. Are you a friend that stands against the false doctrines of the people you love? It doesn't mean you can't, it doesn't mean you don't still love them, even, even the people in your families that are living in a lifestyle of sin. I like they know it and they don't care. But are you loving and yet bold in standing against the false doctrines? By your example, by your encouragement, and by exposing the truth of God in their lives. God's your friend, all right? And his people should be too. This is personal. Our relationship with Christ is personal and our relationship with each other should be as well. And God is pleading with you today that if you don't know him, to come to him. Trusting in faith alone and his work alone and nothing else. Would you stand? Father God, we love you and we praise you. We ask that there, if there's anyone here today who's not called on the name of Jesus for salvation, that they would understand just how personal and genuine of a relationship you want. You're more than a prayer once a week. You're more than a coin and an offering plate. You, have, you want a deep relationship with us. You want to comfort us when we cry. You want to encourage us when we're victorious. You want to help us win in everything we do. You want us to do everything for your glory. You work all things together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And so, Father, I pray that you would let anyone here that is ready to call on your name do that today and make that decision public by coming forward. Lord, I pray for anyone else that uh, is not a member of our church. Lord, I know membership in a formal sense, paper is, is not in the New Testament, filling out pieces of paper, but God, in our world we live in, we have, we, in order to serve at our church, it, there are some legal implications of that. And so we wanna be able to protect our people and protect the kids in which we serve. And so I pray that you would help those that need to join here join and serve and be plugged in serving weekly Ephesians 4 all these spiritual gifts are to be used in the local church and I pray you give us the people that you want to fill them Lord I pray for those that are hurting now that may just need to cry out to you in their seats and say God I've been struggling with something I've, I've not been making disciples because I don't feel worthy to make one Lord I pray you'd help them know the only part of them that is worthy of following is the part of them that falls at your feet that's the part that's always worth following. And they can, they can make disciples. Anyone can, because you've called us to as believers. Lord, we pray we'd be obedient now in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.